Attention! This makes absolutely no sense. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Sanders Facts. Buddy, what is going on? This is the Xander's Facts Podcast. You're in the right place. Don't turn it off. I have the aforementioned Xander. It is episode 5 of the podcast. How about that? We are in the first week of March. We've made it. We've made it through the first month of the Xander's Facts Podcast. And with all your support, we made it. But remember, if you want to continue to support the show, subscribe. Download, rate, review, all those nice things. Follow us on the Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, the Zaders Facts, on all those. So we got a big show for you here today. Episode 5, the big zero five. How about that? We've got a special episode here for you. No guests this week. It's all Xander, all episode long. How about that? Plus, I teased this a little last week. We're going to get into... That COVID relief bill that's going on. Ooh, big thing on Washington. Plus, we are less than two weeks away from one of my favorite times of the year. March Madness. (laughs) And you know what? College basketball is heating up. We're going to talk about that a little bit. But remember, if you want to go back, if you haven't listened to any of our previous episodes of the Intersfax podcast, remember last week we had hillbilly on we talked a bit of basketball we talked a little bit of texas going on previous week we talked a little football and some football previous week impeachment previous week was our big super bowl podcast that was our first episode so if you haven't listened to those go listen to them go download them subscribe to them review them rate them whatever you do just be nice to me so let's talk about the covid relief bill or as it is formally known the american rescue plan That is what it is called. So, that's been the hot topic. And on Saturday, early Saturday morning, like 2 a.m. in the morning, the House passed the bill. 219-212 margin. Two Democrats actually joined the Republicans. All the Republicans opposed it. Two Democrats opposed it. The rest of the Democrats supported it. So it's a $1.9 trillion bill. So it is the second stimulus package in the last year that has been relating to COVID relief. So what was the last one, you may ask? Well, March of 2020, that was the CARES Act, $2.2 trillion. So that was even more. That one sent out the $1,200 checks. Then we got those $600 checks back in December. But first, before I go off into all my little rants, I'm going to give you the Xander's facts right here. What is actually in the bill? These are not false facts. These are real facts. Xander's facts. All Xander's facts are real facts. It's the truth. But first, we've got $1,400 checks to most individuals along with the same amount for each dependent. So every dependent you have, you get another $1,400 check. And unlike the previous stimulus, adult dependents qualify. So college students, the disabled, elderly, if they're a dependent to you, you will get a check for them also. That's unlike the $600 ones and the CARES Act that I was talking about. 
So those checks begin to phase out at an income level of $75,000 for individuals, $150,000 for married couples, and they stop at $100,000 in income for individuals, $200,000 for married couples. That's the first part. So $1.9 trillion bill. It's a ton of stuff in there. So this also extends the unemployment supplements through August 29th. So right now, if you're unemployed, you're getting a weekly payment of $300. That was $600 back in the spring and the summer of 2020. It's $300 right now. That would up that to $400 a week. It also extends benefits to gig workers, you know, the Ubers and the DoorDashes, all that stuff, the gig economy. And those that didn't qualify for benefits before the pandemic, you would get those $400 weekly payments. Those are unemployed supplements. It also expands the fully refundable child tax credit for this year, which increases the amount per child ages 6 to 17 from $2,000 to $3,000 and to $3,600 for children under age 6. And just like the stimulus checks, those tax credits would start to phase out at $75,000 for individuals, $150,000 for married couples. It also includes $30 billion in emergency rental assistance, if you need help with your rent, $5 billion to prevent COVID outbreaks among homeless populations, and $10 billion for mortgage assistance. Now, here's the thing with that. So the nationwide eviction moratorium is set to expire in March, at the end of this month. And so a week or so ago, a federal judge ruled that the CDC one wasn't constitutional. I don't believe this is the CDC one. This is the actual federal government executive order, I think. This would expire under this rule. It would not continue. So that's a little clarity there for you. The bill also allocates $20 billion to create a national COVID vaccination program and $50 billion for virus testing to set up vaccination sites, and eliminate vaccine shortages. That's a big problem we're dealing with right now. And that Johnson & Johnson vaccine, it just got passed over the weekend. So we're going to start to see more. We've got the demand. We need the supply. We're about to see the supply. And hopefully soon what they're planning to get done, and especially with the money here in this bill, it's going to help the rollout so that vaccinations can get everywhere. And if you want a vaccine, you can get a vaccine. That's what I'm trying to get at right now, especially with that money. It also includes $350 billion for state, local, and tribal government relief. A lot of Republican governors are liking that money in government relief. It also includes $170 billion for public schools and higher education institutions to reopen safely and provide aid. When you talk about that, You talk about ventilation, spreading out. Those are the big things with schools. You have to stay six feet apart in the classrooms, and you have to have good ventilation because a bunch of these school buildings are old. Trust me, I know. A bunch of these school buildings don't have proper ventilation. They're from decades and decades ago, and they totally don't work, and it's a mess. And also, they want to make sure that, if it's possible, windows and doors stay open in the classrooms. Because that helps open the air out, prevent spread. And finally, the House bill included a gradual increase in the minimum wage to $15 
an hour by 2025. That would go up every year a little bit until it hit $15 in 2025. Now, here's the problem with that. This, this is the big uh, controversy. Republicans have another whole deal they've got with this, but this is the biggest thing right here that's causing tension between Democrats internally in the party. So last week, the Senate parliamentarian ruled that the minimum wage increase did not meet the standards to be included in a reconciliation bill. So what is a reconciliation bill? So reconciliation is a process that they have in Congress that was adopted 40 or so years ago, I believe, 40 or 50 years ago. And it only requires a simple majority for that bill in the Senate. Any bill requires a simple majority in the House. So like, oh, you know, Democrats could get everything. Done. They could get wealth tax and voting rights and all that stuff. Well, I, <laughs> hold on. So reconciliation can only be used for tax, spending, and debt limit legislation. And so Republicans actually used the reconciliation process to advance the Trump tax cuts back in 2017 because no Democrats voted for that, only Republicans, and they didn't have 60 Republicans that they would need. So they used the reconciliation process. They also used it to try to repeal the Affordable Care Act. Remember back also in 2017 with the famous 3 a.m. John McCain thumbs down. If he had stuck his thumb up, they would have had 50 votes. Vice President would have broken the tie. They would have had enough. But because he didn't, they didn't even have 50 votes. And so that didn't even, so they didn't even get there with that part. And they tried that twice. So that's the reconciliation process. That's what they're going through right now in the Senate. But it includes those rules. And the Senate parliamentarian is there to make sure that the Senate abides by those rules when putting this into the bill. Now, the administration can override the parliamentarian. Doesn't look like that's what's going to happen here. It looks like the president and the vice president are going to confirm the ruling for the parliamentarian and say, you know what, this is a divided issue within the caucus, so we're not going to do that. So, a little backdrop on the minimum wage here. How about this? So the minimum wage was first enacted back in 1938. It was at 25 cents. That was the minimum wage. That's a fact! And that only equals to about four and a half dollars now. It's not, it wasn't very much, and it quickly increased. By 1968, somewhere around there, it was two dollars, and that would be ten, twelve dollars now today, around then. That was when it was at its highest value back in the late 60s. And so, the minimum wage right now, if you didn't know, is seven dollars and 25 cents an hour. That was passed in 2009. They actually Republicans and Democrats in Congress and President Bush signed this back in 2007. They gradually increased the minimum wage from where it was in 2007 up to 725 in 2009 in a little three-year process. So it has stayed at 725 for 12 years now. It's been 12 years. And so this is the largest time period where the minimum wage has stayed stagnant. Xander Sachs. So the previous largest time period was the one that came before 
1997 to 2007 is where it stayed the same. That was 10 years. It's now been 12. And so the big thing, this is a hot topic. Even though a majority of Americans support raising the minimum wage, there are stats that would benefit and stats that on its surface look like it would not. So I'm going to give this to you here. In 2019, the Economic Policy Institute estimated that almost 40 million workers, 39.7 million workers, would benefit. They'd get a wage increase, including 38.6 million adults who are over the age of 18. So that argument that it's really only helping teenagers is debunked right there because the average age that would be affected is 35 years old. But here's the thing. In 2021, last month, under the Biden administration, the Congressional Budget Office estimated that raising the minimum wage gradually to $15 an hour would cost, in that span, 1.4 million jobs. But here's the thing. The census in 2019 said that 13 million people are working multiple jobs, more than one job. So who's to say those 1.4 million jobs couldn't just be the other job that someone is working? And so then when you get a wage increase, then you get that money. So, you know, when you look at that stat on its surface, you say, oh, 1.4 million jobs. But then you have to, uh, 13 million people are working more than one job because the minimum wage is so low and it's not a living wage. And 15, I mean, $15 is barely a living wage. In New York and Los Angeles, it's not a minimum, it's not a living wage. But in a lot of places, it kind of is. And the bill in the House, and they introduced the bill last year, I believe, too. But of course, they didn't have the Senate and they didn't have the White House, so it didn't go anywhere, even though they passed it in the House. That bill and this bill would have gradually increased it after $15. So it would have continued because inflation continues, and so the minimum wage would have continued to increase. So all those stats that I just gave you, I mean, if you would have showed me another stat, sure, but I don't know where you're going to see any other stats that say this is a bad idea other than the ones that I just gave you, which I debunked and said, well, look at these, and, you know, that's not really an argument there that you can make that I could say is valid on this topic. Get that out of here. And I said increasing the minimum wage is popular. The whole bill is popular. So no Republicans voted for it in the House. It doesn't look like any Republicans are going to vote for it in the Senate either. You might get a Murkowski or Collins in there, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen. Which is strange, because here's the thing. Last week, a new Morning Consult political poll came out. It showed 76% of voters support the bill. That includes 60% of Republican voters. And in early February, a CBS News YouGov poll showed 83% supported the bill. Like, those are overwhelming majorities. Like, you don't really see those majorities. That's huge margins. And yet Republicans aren't voting for it. Tell me why. Like, I don't understand. And they're whining because they say it's not partisan. They didn't listen to them. Well, you can go look. President Biden had a meeting with multiple Republican senators. Susan Collins, 
Mitt Romney, Bill Cassidy, a couple others were in the Oval Office. The photos are there. The news articles are there from a couple weeks ago talking about it. And the Republicans came back with a counter, and it was a third as much as this one is. It was $600, $700 million. And what the Treasury Secretary and the President have said, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, have repeatedly said, is that it would be riskier to not go through with this bill than to go through with this bill because of the way the economy is. And I know the stock market's going great. I know I've made some money the last few days. And I know the stock market's doing great, but the stock market's not the overall economy. There's still millions and millions of people unemployed. President Trump was the first president, and it might have been since Herbert Hoover, who lost more jobs than he gained in his term. Since Herbert Hoover, every other president has gained jobs. Uh, Trump lost jobs. And a bunch. And remember back in March, I mean, the second single largest decrease in jobs in history besides the Great Depression in a single month? You know, that's mismanagement at its finest right there. And to add on to this, I don't get into the former guy, as the new guy likes to say. Getting all into this, the 538 average, 538 is a data website that's part of ABC, I think. That does all the data for politics and sports, and it combines, it has this thing where it combines all the polls, and it ranks the polls based on accuracy and how they do their sorting and samples and all that. And it compiles all the polls, puts them together, ranks them, puts it in their system, and comes out with an average. So they do daily average for President Biden's approval. And they did this for Trump, too, and you can take a look at uh, all the former presidents dating back to Roosevelt, I believe, FDR. And so Biden's right now is steady at 54%. That's pretty good considering Trump was never there. It wasn't close. That's 10 points higher than Trump was at this point in his presidency. This is one of the highest points Trump was at, especially back in January and February. We're getting into March where you know everybody realized this guy's kind of psycho. But it's interesting how Biden maintains an above-water approval rating because former President Obama was in the 60s. And by this time, it started to drop. You know, you get that uh, post-election, post-inauguration high. Oh, the new president, let's try him out. You know, it goes down a lot in these first few months. Biden stayed steady so far, and there's been a couple polls that have showed him at 60%. 60% of Americans supporting President Biden. And that number is higher for how he's handling the coronavirus. Those numbers are in the 60s, the mid-60s. You know, comparing that to Trump, who was, his numbers for handling coronavirus were much lower than his actual approval ratings. So that's all, so there you go. That's COVID relief. I gave you what's in there. So now you know those facts. Those are real Xander's facts. It's a fact. What's in the bill? I told you all about this minimum wage that's going on. What's the controversy? There's a couple Democrats in the Senate who were, eh, I don't know about this minimum wage. Jim Manchin, West Virginia, Kristen Sinema of Arizona. And those are the two that don't want to abolish the filibuster. And that's another topic. 
that's another conversation that we've got that we can go over because that's just going to be a whole other thing because Democrats are not going to be able to get much done if they don't do something because you can't pass voting rights and wealth tax and all the other things that they're going to try to do in this first term in these first two years without changing how the Senate works. Because right now, they could put a wealth tax on the floor. Elizabeth Warren just proposed that wealth tax that she's been talking about for the top, not even 1%, top half of 1%. And a Republican could just go to the Senate and say, I feel Worcester. And there it goes. You know, it used to be uh, you had to talk. And the House, you have to keep talking and moving and staying awake for all that time. In the Senate, it's just, I feel Buster. Go on your merry way. Try tomorrow. I feel Buster. On and on and on. That's how it works. So and it only takes majority. They have the majority. They have the votes. But what are they going to do? What are these moderate Democrats going to do? And what is Democratic Party, what is the Biden administration going to offer them to do these things? That's going to be interesting. That's my COVID relief talk. There's your politics for the week. And coming up next, as I promised, college basketball. It's heating up. This is one of my favorite times of the year. It is March. We are in this thing. I've got my full recap of what's going on right now so that you know that is up next. Sanders Facts. All right, y'all, let's take a minute here to talk about my good old buds at Instacart. Instacart will set a personal shopper out to deliver your favorite products from local stores to your door in as fast as an hour. I mean, come on, how about that? Plus, you can choose from a ton of stores around you to always get what you need. Instacart helps you to find the best deals on all the things you usually buy and will give you smart suggestions for new items you might like. So what are you waiting for? Come on. Use the link in this episode's description if you're a new customer to get free delivery on your first order above $35. You can do that right now. Go. Click the link. Go get your free delivery on your first order of over $35. And go shop without leaving your home with Instacart today. Xander's Facts. Welcome back in the Xander's Facts podcast with... Your host, the aforementioned Xander. Remember, subscribe, download, rate, review. I won't bore you anymore. Let's get into some college basketball. Yes, it is March. Oh my gosh. And I'm kind of super excited for this season. Like I said, you know, last year we got robbed of COVID. We got robbed from the COVID because there was no tournament. And the tournament is one of the greatest things ever because you fail out of bracket. And then that first day, you watch these games intently. and You're like, oh my gosh, yes, let's go. Come on. And, you know, the first few games fall apart. But we all get super excited, and I am double excited. I mean, it is incredible. So we are less than two weeks away from March Madness in Indiana. How about that? So the whole tournament is going to be in Indiana this year. And usually it's all over the country, for those of you who know. There's some games in New York and D.C. and L.A. and San Francisco. But they decided because of COVID, they're going to have it all in Indiana. And the women's tournament's all going to be in Texas. And the NIT is all going to be in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. They just announced that 
recently. But in case you haven't watched any college basketball this season, it's been kind of weird because there's it has been so confusing. There have been tons of cancellations. COVID has affected every team. I'm not sure there's a single team in Division One college basketball. There's 350 so teams in college basketball's Division One, and I don't know if there is a single one of them that has not been affected by COVID. Either a cancellation or postponement of a game they were supposed to play because the team they were going to play got COVID or because they had an outbreak within their program. It's been absolutely ridiculous. But we got it. I mean, we're here. (laughs) The records, you know, are kind of all over the place. But we're here. So let me tell you what's going on if you don't know and you want to start to pay attention because the conference tournaments are starting right now and the tournament's two weeks away and we're less than two weeks away from Selection Sunday. And you haven't paid attention. So let me give you the little thing that's going on here. So the new AP poll for this week came out. AP poll ranks the top 25 teams in college basketball. AP writers, sports writers all over the country will rank, and they'll do this for college football too, but this is for basketball. And so a big thing happened this weekend. There were two undefeated teams in college basketball going into this past weekend. One of them lost. That was Baylor. The Baylor Bears! They lost to Kansas on Saturday in Lawrence. I mean, Allen Fieldhouse, the fog. I mean, that's the place to play. They lost 71-58. to I'll get into that in a little bit. But that was their first loss of the season. It was also their second game back from putting their program on pause because they had a COVID outbreak within their program. So they had played Iowa State, I believe. They beat Iowa State. Now they play Kansas, a much tougher team, on the road, and they didn't look very good. They didn't look like the Baylor team that we've seen all season. So just because of this, I mean, don't worry. They're 18-1. and one. There are three teams who have a record that is as good or better than that in college basketball. So I wouldn't worry too much about Baylor, okay? Even though they just lost their first game, I think you're going to see, especially as we get into the Big 12 tournament, they're going to continue to roll. Guess who else continues to roll? The Michigan Wolverines. They've got this big football program up there that hasn't done so well under Jim Harbaugh, but their basketball program is rolling with Jawan Howard, who was their coach. Fab Five. I mean, how about that? So Baylor dropped down to third. They were second in the poll. They dropped down to third. Michigan replaces them after big wins against Ohio State and Iowa, who are top 10 teams, and Indiana. And Indiana's got that history, and they've played some really good games this season. They beat them this last week. They're up to two. They're 18-1 and one also, and they look unstoppable. Let me tell you something. Big 10 is overrated. I said it right there. Everybody's talking about how great the Big Ten is. Oh, you get 10 teams out of 14 teams in the tournament. I mean, that's crazy. Big Ten's overrated. You might get that, but half of them will lose in the first weekend. Maybe over half. So, what does this mean? Like, listen to this. Illinois is four. Illinois is 18 and six. And I realize that it's been crazy and the records behind them are not much better or worse. They're 18-6, and six, and they're fourth. 
They just barely beat Wisconsin, who's borderline top 25. They haven't really shown me anything special this year. They beat Nebraska. Nebraska has an NBA coach coaching them at Fred Hoiberg, who coached the Bulls, got fired, comes to Nebraska, and they are just awful. Nebraska is terrible. And they lost to Michigan State. And Michigan State just showed you what they're all about against Maryland. I mean, Maryland smoked them. So Illinois, uh, I think Illinois is overrated. Iowa's right behind them at 5th. Iowa just got that big win against Ohio State. They're 18-7, and seven, though. And we're not done yet. We're not done with the season. They're 18-7. and seven. They've suffered some pretty bad losses, too. I don't understand it. Iowa, Illinois, and Ohio State. Ohio State's 7. They keep losing games. Ohio, Ohio State's 18-7, and seven too. Ohio State, out of those three, I would trust Ohio State, even though Iowa just put a beating on them. Out of those three teams in the tournament, I trust Ohio State. You know, the AP poll is all about reactionary things. What happened the last week? Oh, my gosh, you know. The tournament has its own selection committee that puts the teams in the tournament and seeds them. And I think at the end of the day, Ohio State should be. And you're going to see in the Big Ten tournament, too, because we're going to have that, and they're all going to play. And these teams might play each other. And I think you're going to see Ohio State come out ahead. I told you the Big Ten's overrated, but a conference that is not overrated is the Big 12. Baylor, I told you Baylor's going to be okay. Kansas, at the beginning of conference play, back at the start of the new year, did not look good at all. They fell out of the top 25. That is a rarity for the Kansas Jayhawks, a team that has been dominant in college basketball for a century, decades and decades and decades. They are known as one of the premier college basketball programs in the country, and they are getting back on it. They are playing some really good basketball. They're up to 13. They're 18 and 8, but I think they are much better than their record right now. That's a team who was getting hot at the right time. And we'll see if they can continue to stay hot. And if they can, they're going to be dangerous. West Virginia is 6. West Virginia is 17 and 6 on their record. I, th- They're probably a little high, but they're still really good too. I like what West Virginia's doing. And there's, there's four other teams in the top 20 who I like. Texas at 15, Oklahoma 16, Oklahoma State 17, Texas Tech 18. Oklahoma and Oklahoma State just had that great overtime game back on Saturday. Those two teams are fun to watch. Cade Cunningham, remember this name, Cade Cunningham, a freshman on Oklahoma State, number one recruit, even after, so Oklahoma State was in violation of NCAA rules, they were suspended from postseason play this season. They're appealing that decision, so right now they can play unless that appeal gets rejected. He still goes their number one recruit, and he's now still projected as the number one pick in the draft. He scored 40 points against Oklahoma. They won that game. That was a great game. Oklahoma State is for real. They're 16-6. and six. I really like the Cowboys. And the Suitors are doing really good, too. Lon Kruger, their head coach, This is a team that has a history of Trey Young and Buddy Heald. 
This is a team that has a history of disappointing in the tournament. I remember when they had Trey Young, they lost in the first round to Rhode Island. This team doesn't really rely on a star, though. They've got depth, and that's what you need in the NCAA tournament. You need depth. Also, I said Texas 15. That's a Shaka Smart Coach team. As we know, probably shouldn't trust Shaka Smart Coach teams unless you're at VCU and going to the Final Four. This is his best team he's had at Texas, though, and he had Mo Bamba a couple years ago. But they've got a better team. They've got more depth. I don't know about this. You know, Texas has slowly been coming back in the polls. They were up in the low single digits. They're starting to come back now. I think they're starting to get tired and wind down at the wrong time. That's not a time when you want to start doing that. Texas Tech, another team that I love to watch. Chris Beard is their coach. This is a team that was in the last national championship game back in 2019. I mean, this is a team you watch out. Like, they know what they're doing down there in Lubbock. Lubbock, Texas. I love the Big 12. The Big 12 is going to be the best conference tournament. Big 10. Big 10 has 14 teams, and you can say 10 of them are going to the tournament. And they might not disagree with you. But the Big 12 has those seven teams up at the top, and the three teams way down at the bottom. 10-team league. I really like the Big 12. I think that's going to be a great conference tournament. Yeah, I mean, my ACC, they have not been doing so great. It's been a down year, and it has been a really down year for the ACC. They've got three ranked teams in there right now. Florida State's in there, Virginia and Virginia Tech. And those are three respectable programs. Florida State and Virginia have been doing it for a while. Leonard Hamilton, the coach of Florida State, just got that contract extension. Uh, Tony Bennett's been doing it a while. Virginia is still the reigning national champions, ugh, sadly. And Virginia Tech, I mean, Mike Young's second year. Ooh, they're starting to roll. Oh, they're starting to roll. How about this? So, the COVID bug hit the Hokies. I'm not sure if I mentioned this in the last couple episodes, but they had a three-game COVID pause because they got COVID in their program for the first time. I mean, they were rolling through this season. They had a couple postponements because of other teams, and that's how they played Villanova at the beginning of the season because the team they were supposed to play, Temple, got COVID. And on 48 hours' notice, they were like, you want to play Villanova? And I was like, sure. And they won. So, uh. But this past week, they came back. They looked rusty. They played Georgia Tech at home. They lost 69-53. They were hanging in there in the first half. They just struggled. And they looked rusty in that second half. They looked tired. They didn't look like they had practiced much together as a team. And that's what's going to happen. That's what happened to Baylor against Kansas in that game. They were on a COVID pause, and they didn't practice much as a team. So they couldn't get that chemistry. They couldn't gel. That's what happened to Baylor. That's what happened to Virginia Tech in this game. Georgia Tech, they're playing a lot better. They might be a sneaky NCAA tournament team. I don't know. They might make a deep run in that ACC tournament. And if they do, they could be a borderline NCAA tournament team. And if not, maybe a respectable NIT team. But when I talk about this COVID, so here's a question that I've had to ask recently about the NCAA tournament. What happens if a team gets COVID in the NCAA tournament? And you just have to stop. So if it happens before any games are played, they're going to announce four 
alternate teams that will be able to replace those teams on any given notice and play. I'm not sure what happens if they, you know, go. I guess if a team plays the first round game and then two days later they have to play the second round game, figures out they get COVID, you know, I guess by default the team that was supposed to play them gets to go to the Sweet 16 in that scenario, but I mean, I guess that's just what's going to happen this year because it's been crazy. And at least we're getting a tournament, so let's be grateful for that. Uh, back to the Hokies, though. Saturday, they got their largest ACC win in program history in the 17 years. It's been 17 years now that they have been in the Atlantic Coast Conference. This has been their largest men's basketball win in program history. They beat Wake Forest 84-46. And this was just a tale of everything going right for Virginia Tech, everything going wrong for Wake Forest and trajectories of their season. Steve Forbes, who is the coach of Wake Forest, it's their first year. And I couldn't even imagine this being a coach's first year. I mean, that's just got to be that's just got to be super tough, you know, considering all that a first year coach has to deal with. Then COVID, <laughs> just put COVID on there, but their season has just gone in the wrong direction, and this was. The bounce-back game for Virginia Tech to start to get back into that rhythm because they've got two big games this coming week. They've got Louisville and NC State on Saturday. Two big games, two final games of the regular season for them. Final week of the regular season. Then we get into conference tournaments next week. The conference tournaments that I was telling you about, so we've got some that are going underway this week. So... This week, the Atlantic Sun, Sun Belt, West Coast, that's Gonzaga's conference, and the always fun Big South get underway this week. And the Atlantic 10 and the American East start this week with their championships. Those go on next week. And how about all these conferences that are going on this week as well? The Summit, the Ohio Valley, the Missouri Valley, the Northeast, the Horizon League, and the Colonial, the CAA, the Dukes, JMU. They're playing this week as well. They're conference tournaments. So they're going to be you know, having that rest week next week while they play their tournaments this week. If you didn't know this, the champion of each conference tournament gets an automatic bid into the NCAA tournament. That's a fact! That's how they have all these mid-majors. And if you want to really focus in on your bracket this year, might want to watch a couple games from these tournaments, you know, Championships are always fine because the winner of the championship is going to the NCAA tournament. But watching these teams and see how they play, if they really dominate against their opponents, you know, these are the teams that are sleeper teams in the NCAA. These are the Loyola Chicago's and the UMBC's, all those, the Cinderella teams. They are in here, and they might be in here this year because it's going to be, I'll give this to you, this tournament is going to be other chaos. What the heck does this mean? Teams are going to get COVID. I hope that doesn't happen. But you're going to see wild upsets because the parody is just so strong, I believe, in college basketball this year. Unlike college football, thank goodness. College basketball is just, you know, the competition is just on another level of being together. 
So, you know, this is going to be interesting. I'm going to watch some of these conference tournaments. If you want to focus in on your bracket, I'd suggest you do too. But, of course, the big ones get underway next week. Uh, The Big Six conferences, the Big East, the Big Ten, the Big 12, Pac-12, ACC, SEC. You know, all those and a couple more, they do next week. So we'll talk about all that next week. And we'll start to get in some more March Madness. Oh, my gosh, it's coming. The conference tournaments week, those are really fun too. I mean, you 2 p.m. on a Wednesday, you turn on the TV and you've got Big 12 on one channel, Big 10 on another ACC basketball, 2 o'clock, 1 o'clock, noon in the afternoon on a Wednesday afternoon. I mean, it, Thursday, Friday, I mean, it's incredible. So I'm super amped. I hope you are too. And that is going to do it for this edition of the Xander Specs Podcast. I hope you enjoyed me ranting for all this time. No guests this week. Don't worry. We'll have another one next week. It'll be very special guest. I'll make sure to treat you all with. But remember, this has been the Xander's Facts Podcast. Subscribe to the podcast. Download each and every episode. Rate it. Reveal it with some five stars and a nice comment. And remember, spread the word. The Xander's Facts Podcast. We're all over the world. You can listen to us wherever, whenever you want. It's podcast. Benefits of doing a podcast. That's it for this week. I'll see you next week. This has been the Xander's Facts Podcast. You're spreading lies.